across this building. Let's give God great praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We got a reason to rejoice. We got a right to rejoice. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody give God great praise. Hallelujah. God's good. God's good. God's good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. On a midweek, somebody ought to take a few moments and give God a great praise. Hallelujah. He's worthy of all of my praise. He's worthy of all of my praise. He's worthy of all. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Somebody clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I thank God for the liberty that we feel in the, in the house of the Lord. Amen. How many is thankful for that here tonight? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Been so grateful and thankful for what God is doing. And I'm believing God's going to do many, many more things. Amen. But you know, God created us in His image and in His likeness. And somebody put it this way, you know, it's, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. So there's some things about us that came from our Father. There's some traits we got, right? There's some things that just are innate inside of us. You know, when you're not thanked for things, you kind of start to pull back on some of those things. That's just part of our nature. You know, when you don't get appreciation, it's just, it happens. You know, we don't do things for appreciation, but man, it sure is nice to be appreciated. You kind of pull back on the areas in which you're not appreciated. And God's a little bit like that. Amen. God's a little bit like that. But you know, when you find somebody and you give them appreciation in a certain area, they tend to do it a lot more. Amen. And uh, we often want God to do more things in our life, and He will. But before God does something new, we got to thank Him for what He's already done. So when we come to church, every service, I don't want one service to go by where I haven't lifted up my voice and said, thank you, Jesus. Yes, I need a miracle tonight. Yes, I need a blessing tonight. But thank you for the miracle last week. Thank you for the word last week. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've already done. I think we ought to take a few moments, amen, before we get started here tonight and just thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for every word. Thank you for every blessing. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm convinced if we will thank God for all that he has done, we will see more of it. Amen. And so I'm looking forward to more of what God's going to do. Amen. It's so good. Uh, it's good, good to be in the house of the Lord and to be with God's people. If you have your Bibles, the book of Matthew chapter 7. I want to say it's good to have Brennan Kaufman in the house of the Lord with us. Amen. We've been doing Bible studies. He's about to be baptized in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. He said, you know, I've got to work on Sundays. I was like, well, God's no respecter of days. We'll baptize you any day of the week. Amen. And so, got Wednesdays off. We'll be at the house of the Lord baptizing you in Jesus' name. Praise God. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1. The word of the Lord says this, judge not that you be not judged. We could probably stop right there if we wanted to. 
Service done. Praise God. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. What you put out is coming back. For with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. What measurement you use, what ruler you use on other people, it's going to be the very ruler that somebody's going to use on you. The standard you hold other people to, God's going to hold you to it as well. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? With a little speck of sawdust, as another translation puts it. You know, somebody got, somebody got something in their teeth, somebody got something on their face. You notice that little speck? But you don't consider the beam that, that is in your eye. This is, this is an absurd imagery. There's a speck in one eye, but you got a beam that holds up a house in your eye. Or how will you say to your brother, let me pull out the moat out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your eye. You're going to walk around like this. Beam going like, right, let me help you. It's, it's, it's meant to be absurd. Jesus is giving an absurd image. This is what he says, thou hypocrite. That's pretty tough wording. Everybody say first. First, cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of your brother's eye. Give not that which is holy under the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn again and rend you. Amen. Jesus said, first cast out the beam that is in your own eye. And then help your brother out. And I want to teach you us Holy Habits Part 10. We're going to talk about proper judgment. Amen. Turn your neighbor and tell them proper judgment. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. The phrase, no one should judge, is that fact or is that fiction? Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6 is a well-known passage that has been interpreted many ways over the years. This passage begins with the phrase, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, this has been widely quoted and has even become a popular saying in our culture, especially in our modern culture. However, this passage is often misunderstood and taken out of context. Our world has used this verse to denounce judgment altogether, as if judgment itself is a bad thing. Using this as the basis for phrases such as, only God can judge me. Ever heard that? Some of y'all maybe have said that. Only God can judge me. Some people have even written songs about it. Although, and as quotable as this is, it is not a true statement. What is really being expressed here 
is a desire to live in a world without critique, without boundaries, and without consequence. Unfortunately, that's not realistic or safe, and it's not right. Not to mention, when this is expressed, they also mean God shouldn't judge me either because I believe I am above reproach. In fact, those that would say only God can judge me, they hope that's true because they don't even believe in God at all. So if God's the only one that can judge, uh, I can live whatever way I want, and nobody can say anything. But judgment is not a bad thing. In fact, judgment is a necessary thing. Judgment is a part of our nature. Animals are known to judge one another as a means of creating order. It is because of judgment that we have laws in place. It is because of judgment that we have social norms and proper etiquette. A Harvard psychologist, Amy Cuddy, an expert in first impressions after researching this split section, section, second, split second reaction that we have to one another has clarified on this phenomenon. Our judgmental nature is actually a survival instinct. We are asking a few questions in our split second reaction. The first question we are asking when we meet somebody is, can I trust this person? This question is deeply based on survival. If we don't feel we can trust someone, we instinctively feel the need to protect ourselves and to protect our interests. We respond to the warmth of a person, to their openness, their authenticity. The more of this that we feel, the more likely we are to trust a person straight away. When we don't feel those things, or if we feel that someone is hiding something, we are quick to judge them as a protective instinct. This may be protecting ourselves or others that we care about. The second question that we ask when we are doing a split-second judgment is, should I respect this person? This, too, is a survival question. This question revolves around how competent we deem the person to be. This comes from the qualifications or specific expertise and experience. If they have a solid reputation, we may have answered this question before we've even met them. Has anybody ever done that? You just, you just have a feeling about somebody. That is a split-second decision or judgment. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book, great book, if you want to read it, called Blink. How just that split-second reaction uh, is, is, is a natural instinct. It's a split-second judgment being made. This question, however, only has secondary importance to the first. And more importantly, it is an instinct of survival. If we've answered yes, yes to both questions, it is likely we judge an individual positively. If there's any doubt in either of these answers, we will likely be more judgmental about unrelated traits in order to distance ourselves from the other person. This is a psychological phenomenon. Everybody makes judgments. Now, I want to help us understand judgment. Judgment is part of your human nature. It's part of your instinct. Everybody in this room judges. So somebody that says, I want to live in a world free of judgment, you must needs go out of the world because you're living in a world that is full of judgment. In fact, 
the same people that say, well, I don't go to church because the church is full of judgmental people. Go to the gym with judgmental people. Go to work with judgmental people. They go, they go to Walmart with judgmental people. They drive down the, wor- the road and somebody they cut somebody off and they don't realize the person they just cut off is judging them because they cut them off. You are living in a judgmental world. There is no way to get away from judgment. Amen. There's no way for you to get out of judgment, to get away from judgment. You're being judged on a daily basis. You're being judged by your boss. You're being judged by your spouse. You're being judged by your neighbor on how you keep your lawn. You're being judged uh, based on the people driving down the road next to you on how you drive, what your car looks like. You are being judged. So there's no way to get away from judgment. Amen. But I want to help us here today. Sometimes, in fact, often, those judgments we make in a split decision or a split moment are not always correct. Sometimes they're wrong. You ever done that where you think somebody, because the way they the way they weren't smiling, their warmth, they weren't as warm. I know people like this. You know, Malcolm Gladwell calls them a mismatch. They look like somebody that's just going to be real mean because the way they're staring at you, they, they, they just got a mean face. So you stay away from them. But the truth is, they're just a, they're just a cuddly teddy bear. Amen. If you got close to them and you got to know them, you'd realize that it's actually the opposite. They're actually really kind and knowing, but they don't realize what's going on. And so this... This instinct can be wrong, and we've got to recognize it's part of our nature to judge, but that nature is not always correct. In fact, sometimes that nature is carnal. Amen. This is where we can misjudge a person. This is where prejudice and racism have plagued our society. Simply by looking at somebody based on the color of their skin or the language in which they speak, there are people that have made certain prejudged decisions about an individual before they've even given them the time of day. And this, some people want to know, well, well, we need to fix racism. We need to fix racism. What it comes down to is it comes down to a, a, a judgment issue. Amen. Because when we have a problem with prejudice, prejudice simply meaning prejudging someone or something, we get a, we come at that individual from a blurry paradigm. Our eyesight is not 2020. We are coming from our past experiences. We are coming from what we have learned, what we have been told. And we introduce ourselves to an individual or we come in contact with an individual through our paradigm and our preconceived notions. And we can unfortunately begin to judge an individual before they get an opportunity to really let it be known who they are and what they stand for. This is the difference between the church and the world. The world will live in prejudice and never get rid of it. They might even socially and uh, they, they might virtue signal and act like they've got it all together and act like they're okay. But when the truth is, they would never be friends with another individual of another color. They just want you to think that they will. But in the church, we have people of every nation, of every language, of every color. There's people that have come from backgrounds where they used they were taught their whole lives to hate somebody of a different race, but when they come to church and they get baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, God takes the hatred out of their heart, takes the judgment out of their heart. Amen. And God starts to work on them because the church, amen, what is God doing? God is judging their judgment. God is dealing with their judgment. That's the reason, one of the reasons. The church is the answer for our world today. There is no social program that's going to fix racism in America. The church is going to fix it. Amen. 
The church is going to fix it. The church is the answer for that. Because when you are born again, when you are baptized, the Bible says there's neither male nor female, bond nor free. It says you have been completely washed away. Amen. All of your characteristics are done away with in Jesus. You are a new creation in Christ. Amen. In other words, the church is a people that have been born again. Amen. Not of the corruptible things of this world. Amen. We don't socialize and connect based on uh, uh, all of the things the world connects on. We don't connect based on your birth uh, in this world. We connect on your birth when you went down in the watery grave in Jesus' name. We don't connect based on what your skin tone is because that doesn't matter because at the end of it all, we know that this body's going to go down to the dust and my soul's going back up towards God. So this flesh don't even matter. We don't get together based on what we like about one another or what we don't like about one another. We get together based on what Jesus has done for each of us. Amen. The church is the answer for modern world problems. Amen. So what is Jesus saying in this verse when he talks about judgment? Amen. It's important for us to examine these verses more closely. Verse 1 and 2 in the first verse, Jesus says, Do not, be, do not judge or you will be judged. This is often a misinterpretation that people use to mean that Christians should never judge others under any circumstance. However, when we read this in context, this verse is not a blanket prohibition on making judgments, but rather it is a warning against particular judgment, and that is the judgment of a hypocrite, a hypocritical judgment. Amen. Uh, The Bible is not against judgment. I'm going to talk about that here tonight. In fact, the Bible's for judgment, but proper judgment. It's got to be done in the right way, and it's got to be done from the right motive, and that motive should always be love. Amen. That, lo- that, that motive should always be compassion to help somebody else. Amen. Jesus was declaring and instructing on judgment. It starts with a warning. His warning is this. If you plan to be a judge or to be judgmental, if we're going to use modern terms, then the same measuring stick you use on other people, get ready for it to be used on you. If you think everybody should have it together like you have it together, then you are getting ready to have that same measuring stick used on you. Because somebody else has got it more together than you is going to look down on you and think, well, he should just have it more together. She should just have it more together. They should just have it more figured out. Uh, But you have not been in the position that they've been in. You don't know what they've gone through. And it is not fair to use a split-second decision to see somebody in that position and to say, well, they must be there because. We have not taken time to have a conversation with the individual so we can find a way in which we can help them. Instead, we have judged them. And what is judgment? It's just like this. When When the judge takes their gavel and they slam it down, that means there's no more trial. There is no more conversation. I have already figured out what I believe about this individual, and I've slammed the gavel down, and now the decision has been made. And Jesus is saying, if you live in a way where the gavel's been slammed down, then the same measure that you did that with somebody else, it's coming back to you. Amen. you got to be careful of the law of reciprocity. There is, a, there is a reciprocity, a give and a take, a give and a receive in how we treat other people. There is, the Bible talks about, the law of reaping and sowing, that you will reap what you have sown. 
That's why the Bible says, sow to yourselves in mercy. Amen. The Bible puts it this way, and we've talked about it before. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy. In other words, you have sown mercy out there. When we talk about uh, those moments when our carnal mind wants to think a certain way about somebody else, that is our carnal human mind. But our Christian response should not stay that way. Our Christian response should be full of mercy because I want to receive the same mercy that I'm showing on somebody else. Amen. We have got to be willing to give forth mercy and grace to other people. The same measure that we use to judge others will be used against us as well. What measurement do you want to be used against yourself? What measurement? Because we all do this, and if we're not careful, we can become too critical of other people and think that they just got to figure it out, and we have not lived in the life that they've lived. Verse number three, Jesus is redirecting our judgment to its proper place. He is trying to adjust the mindset of the individuals that are listening. He asks the question, why are you so concerned? Why are you so bothered by what you are observing as wrong in the lives of others while simultaneously being content with the wrong in your own life? Jesus is saying, listen, before he just gave a quick warning, judge not lest you be judged. In the same measure that you judge, it's going to come back to you. He's like, but before we talk about judging others, he's like, let's just take a moment, step back and ask a question. Why are you bothered by those people? Amen. I've got to talk about this for a minute because I've seen people that have lost their their cool and they've lost their uh the best way to put it, they've lost their Christian witness uh, because they just are bothered by how somebody else is living their life. Don't let it be said one time of ARC that we have lost our witness because we are bothered or so bothered by how somebody else is living. Let me help you. Jesus is saying you got to forget about all that because it doesn't involve you. You know, there's people right now that you're so concerned about how your sister's living her life. You're so concerned about how your cousin's living his life. You're so concerned about how, uh, how, how your neighbors mow their lawns. You, you don't have peace in your life. And, and, and at the end of the day, we have, we've got two lanes. Their lane and our lane. Stay in yours. <laughs> Amen. That's good words. Stay in your lane. I hate when people are driving. They come into my lane. Amen. I call them crazy and I slam on my horn. Get out of my lane. Amen. And there's some people out here in Nevada that are notorious for this. They all have California plates for some reason. <laughs> they always get in my lane. I'm driving here. You're driving there. And, 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 and at the end of the day, we must relieve ourselves of this, of this superficial idea that we have got to drive their car. you got to drive your car, not their car. Amen. You are... You are in charge of your life, not their life. You are in charge of your walk with God, not their walk with God. And Jesus is asking, why are you so concerned? Why does it bother you so much? There's some folks, uh, you just need to take a chill pill. Man, there's some folks taking all sorts of pills that are prescribed. I'm going to give you a prescribed pill today. Take a chill pill. Man, that's a pastor's pill right there. Just take a chill pill. You know, I've, I've had to relieve myself of this, Brother Jonathan, because as a pastor, I want to get in the driver's seat of everybody else. I really do. I, listen, I, I'm, I'm, at times I can be so arrogant to think I can live your life better than you. 
No, that's not true. I, I, you're doing a great job. Please keep doing it. But there's times where we do that. And, man, I want to jump in the driver's seat because, man, you're about, to hit the, you're about to run off the road. And I would like to jump in the driver's seat. And I can stress myself out judging how you're doing it. Or I can stay in my own lane, stay in my own car. Amen. And I can focus on the road. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me just say this. Uh, pointing out wrongdoing or tattling on others doesn't fix or improve your life. I, I don't know where people get off on this. Amen. This is good. You've got kids that they learn this. Anytime your brother's doing something wrong, tell me. You've got little informants, and then the informants become adults. And they want to come around and inform the pastor everything everybody's doing wrong. We don't need that. Amen. Because it doesn't fix or improve your life. But you know what it does for us and why we like it so much? It makes us feel like we're better than other people. Let's get down to the real problem with judgment and judging. It makes us feel better. You know when you judge somebody, it feels good. I mean, you never heard a pastor say that. It feels good. Amen. You see somebody else who's not, not doing as well as you, and you think, you know, you may not say it out loud, but you have this moment where you're like, whew, I ain't doing too bad. Come on, don't leave me up here by myself. I know you all done it this, this week. You might have done it today. You'd be thinking, man, I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. We like it because it makes us feel good about ourselves. But it, and, 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 it, and it, what we start to feel as if, as if it gives us an excuse not to improve ourselves. This is the problem with moral relativity, that I'm good based on your bad. Because if I'm good based on your bad, all I got to do is find somebody worse off than me. And it can give me an excuse as to why I'm not improving and I'm not getting better. Amen. Don't ever be the smartest person in the room. If you're in a room where you're always the smartest person, find a new room. If you're the person that's always the most successful in a room, find a new room. You, and I'm not talking about leave the people behind. What I'm saying is if you ever get to a place where you're always, I, I, got, I got friends in my life that are always at least five to ten, some are a thousand steps ahead of me because I want people that will challenge me because I don't want to think I've got it all together and I've got it all figured out. I need people in my life that I can press towards. But there's some people, they only want to be surrounded by those that are worse off and less than them because if they can do that, they feel better about themselves. Because judging makes you feel good. Jesus is saying, why are you so concerned about everybody else's life? Amen. Don't you have a own life? You know, there's some folks, they, the Bible talks about busy bodies. Amen. They're busy as bees going around. They just got nothing but time. I just am shocked by the amount of time some people have to be in everybody else's business. I, I, I don't know about you, but it shocks me sometimes to know how much some people are in other people's business. Man, I, I got too many things going on in my own life. Uh, my life's just chaotic. You know what it is? I'll help you. It's like my mother used to love watching all these soap operas. She loved them, you know. If you're Hispanic, it's the novellas, you know. <laughs> and, and she used to love watching them. And I, I'd come out, and I'm just a kid, and I'm thinking, man, your life is crazy as it is, Mom. Cops over every week. Mom and dad always fighting, you know, and you're, you're, you're worried about Ricardo. Oh, man. You got the days of our lives, and you got the young and the restless. You got all these things going on. You're worried about, oh, my goodness. They died and came back to life five times. Their life is full of drama. Some folks, you had parents like that. Some folks, you were the parent like that. But that's what it's like when you're worried about and you're judging other people. Don't you have enough drama in your own life? Don't you have enough challenges in your own life? 
And that is often the problem, is you got so many challenges in your own life that Jesus is saying, you don't want to be directed or redirected back to your own problems. You want to focus on somebody else's problems, and you want to focus on somebody else's drama, and you want to judge that other person, because if I can judge that other person, it's put me in an elevated position above them where I don't have to worry about myself. Hallelujah. And Jesus is asking in verse 4, he said, Let, let's talk about this. Let's, let's give you the benefit of the doubt that you're actually trying to be helpful. Because Jesus knows you're not really trying to be helpful when you're doing this. He said, how or why are you going to help others when you have a glaring problem in the same area? Amen. It, it, it's, it's like the, it's like the, the, the fat gym trainer. <laughs> Don't give me diet advice. You aren't following it, right? It's like the doctor who smokes. Hey, man, I, I don't have time for somebody else to come along and try to, try to help me when I look and go, man, I should be helping you. I felt that way about some folks. They want to give me advice on what I should be doing, and I look at them and go, man, who should be helping who right now? You ever felt like that? Let's all be judgmental for a minute. Yes, you have. Hallelujah. We're going to get through it tonight. Praise God. But, but and let's be fair about this. To be fair... Objective reasoning is not dependent on personal perfection. So when somebody's coming to you with an objective understanding about your life from the outside looking in, you don't have to judge and reverse judge them and see if they've got everything perfect in that area. Because I can notice your deficiency and be right about it even though I am unqualified and I personally have a blind spot in that area. Okay? Uh, and, and, and let me just say this. There are some that are actually trying to help out of genuine concern. So I want to give this a fair, rounded thing when we talk about judgment because not everybody that's, has this, that is judging or trying to be helpful is being rude. Some of them are actually trying to be helpful. Here's an example. It's like the smoker uh, that is in the, the hospital. They are going through chemo, and they are telling their younger brother, who's also a smoker, not to smoke anymore. Well, we could say, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You don't have it figured out. No, they're trying to be helpful. So we've got to, we've got to put this in the right perspective. But, but what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, how, how are you going to effectively help somebody if you are currently struggling with that yourself? He's saying you really need to, you need to realize that if there is an opportunity for you to work on it, and you to help somebody else, he's saying you should first start by working on it yourself because that's what's really going to help the individual. It's that person in the hospital that is dying of cancer that makes it up in their mind, even to my dying day, I'm going to give up the cigarettes. So you have an example in which you can follow that you don't need to come here where I am. He's saying you need to focus and work on yourself so that you can then better help your brother. Jesus is cautioning his listeners against judging others while ignoring their own shortcomings and sins. He emphasizes this point in verse 5 where he says, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and, when you, and then when you see clearly, you can remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is a hypocrite? That word's tossed around a lot. What is a hypocrite? Well, first and foremost, that word hypocrite is a biblical word where we get the word actor. It is to put on a show, a performance. Amen. Another term for hypocrite is a person who pretends, again, they act, to have a belief, value, or qualities that they do not actually possess or exhibit. In other words, a hypocrite says one thing, but they do another. 
they say one thing, they say they believe one thing, they act in front of others that they believe one thing, but they go behind the door and do something different. Hypocrisy involves making false or insincere claims of virtue or morality while behaving in ways that are inconsistent with those claims. It also means when you are acting in a certain persona that you have not you are not interested in becoming. I want to define the difference between a hypocrite and somebody who's trying. A hypocrite is somebody that just wants you to think or to judge them in a way where they're doing all right. Somebody who's trying might be doing wrong, but they're trying to do right. You're not a hypocrite if you're going to the gym to lose weight. Hallelujah. You're not a hypocrite if you're going to the doctor so you can get better. You're not a hypocrite if you, are, if you are trying to quit smoking. Amen, if I could use that. You are not a hypocrite if you are trying to get things right. But it's the person that says, oh, I don't smoke, and then you see him out there in the back tomorrow. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, oh, hypocrite. You actor. Jesus gives an illustration to drive home this point that we should not be too, too quick to judge others. He compares judging others as a person trying to remove a speck from their neighbor's eyes while having a log or a beam in their own eye. This hyperbolic imagery of the log in the eye emphasizes the absurdity of judging others without first addressing our own problem. Amen. We're going to talk about proper judgment. Amen. Is judgment wrong? No, it's got to be done in its proper time and in its proper place with the proper motive. Amen. If I'm judging to simply tear down, doesn't matter when I do it, it's wrong. If I'm judging simply to criticize and to tear somebody apart, doesn't matter when I do it or how I do it, I'm doing it and it's wrong. It's not right. Amen. But there is a proper order and there is a proper motive in which we are called of God to judge. Paul declares that it is the job of the church to judge properly. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 2, he says, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge in the smallest matters? Know you not that we shall judge angels? Amen. He's letting us know that eventually when we rule and reign with Christ, he's saying we're going to judge the world, we're going to judge angels, and he's talking about issues in the church that the people are not taking care of and they're not making judgment calls on. And he's saying how much more are the things that pertain to life? If you're going to judge such great things and that's the call of God, you should make a judgment call on the things down here on earth. Let me break it down. This is not the time for the church to cower in the midst of a society that is saying they don't know what male or female is. Oh, well, we just don't want to offend. No, listen, there's a way to say something and to say in love. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody. We love people. In fact, that's why we're telling you the truth. If you're about to drive off of a cliff, I'm going to tell you that the bridge is out, that there's a cliff up ahead, and it's about to take your car off. Well, you're being judgmental. No, I love you enough to tell you. Amen. And our world say, well, you can't say anything. And so the world wants to take the tuck head and not say nothing. Don't you know we're going to judge the world? Don't you know that we're called to eventually judge angels? And the things of this life, we are meant to make judgment calls. But it's not criticism. I know of, I know of churches right now that, that their, whole, their whole outreach idea is to go picket somebody. 
Amen. Don't pick at nobody. It's not going to change anything. Amen. Why don't you take them out to coffee? Hallelujah. Why don't you love on them? Why don't you? And, then, and, and I'm not saying anybody here doesn't do that. What I'm saying, there's entire organizations, entire groups, they give themselves over to nothing but hate speech. You know what that is? That's the judgment Jesus told us not to do. Because that's the kind of judgment that has no remedy, it has no hope, it has no answer. You know what we've done? We've slammed the gavel down and said this is just all there is. You can't get out of it. But I've come, I've come to tell you it doesn't matter what you think you were born, you can be born again. Well, I don't know what gender I am. Well, you can be born again, and we'll tell you what gender you are. Well, I don't know what's going on in my world, and I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Well, we can baptize you in Jesus' name. We can love you. We can pray for you. We can counsel you. We can help you. We can take you from death into life. We can take you from darkness into light. We can take you from your past into your future. We can take you from all these things where you made mistakes, and we can take you to the miracles that God has for you. That's what the church is called to do. That's proper judgment. Proper judgment is to tell the truth and to do it in love. Man, it's to tell somebody the truth, but not just say, well, I told them. That is not Christianity. I just, well, they just had to know. I told them. I did the will of God. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. In fact, you're going to be under judgment here soon if you're not careful because that critical spirit, it didn't help nobody. Man, somebody put it best. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Man, I, I've got friends that have lived in that lived in alternative lifestyle, but I let them know I love you and I care for you and I'm praying for you. But they know where I stand, and they know what I believe, and they know that when the time comes, no matter what's going on in my life, I can turn to this individual. This is my friend, and they will help me, and they will pray for me, and they will be there for me. Amen. That the, the world says the church is full of judgmental people. No, it's not. The church, is, the church is actually full of loving people because the Bible says such were some of us. In fact, many of us have come out of the very lifestyles we're praying other people to come out of. We don't forget the pit in which we were dug. We recognize when somebody comes to church and they, they I've had people say this. Well, well, I've even had somebody say this recently. Well, don't judge me. Please don't judge me. What they're really saying is please don't criticize me. And I look back at them and said, if you only knew what God has done for me, if you only knew where God brought me out of, I'd look at you and say, please don't judge me because I know what God has done for me. Amen. But we are called to judge. We are just called to do it in the right way. We are just called to do it in love, and it is to help others. Peter put it this way. 1 Peter 4 and 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Hallelujah. We're getting ready. Listen, we're called eventually to judge the world. We're called eventually to judge angels. But where does it begin? It begins in the house of God. Hallelujah. We don't have time to pick at other people. First off, that's not good outreach strategy. Secondly, that's not right. Amen. It's not going to affect anything. But where judgment starts is it starts in the house of God. For if it first begin at us, amen, if, if it doesn't first start with us, he said, then what shall the end be of those that don't obey God? If we don't start right here in the church and judge things that may be taken care of in the church, how are we going to judge the world? In other words, if we don't get it right on the home front, how are we going to get it right over here? If we don't get it right on a personal level, how are we going to get it right on a citywide level? 
Amen. Church, we are praying for revival in Carson City. We are praying for revival in northern Nevada. We are praying for revival that will sweep across the United States from this city and from this church. But where is that revival going to start? That revival does not start by us telling our city what they need to do right. That revival does not start by you telling your neighbor what they need to do right. That revival does not start by you telling your brother or your sister what they need to do right. I want to tell you where the revival starts. It starts by preaching like this tonight. Where it says you got to go home and you got to get your house in order. I got to go home and I got to get my house in order. I got to come to church and I got to get my seat in order. I got to get my row in order. I got to. I got to get my altar call in order. I got to get my worship in order. I got to get my prayer life in order. I got to get my Bible reading in order. I got to get my love for other people in order. I got to get my evangelism in order. I got to get my Bible studies in order. Oh, somebody give the Lord some praise all across this building. Jesus put it this way. He said, first, everybody say first, remove the beam from your eye. This is the part our world doesn't want to talk about. Because I've heard people quote this to me all the time. Don't, no, judge not. I'm like, read the rest of the context. Because the Bible says, first, first you got to get rid of the beam out of your eye. And then. You can help. Everybody say help. Because, again, the motive behind all of this is to help. When somebody comes by and they're telling you the truth in love, their motive is to help you. It is passion, but it is mixed with compassion. Amen. We, we got so many folks that are passionate. They're just passionately wrong. We need some more compassion in the church. Amen. Jesus looked on people that had no shepherd, and the Bible says he looked on them with compassion. He started crying when he saw people. Amen. I want to tell you, it ought to bring tears to our eyes when we see people in our city, in our region. It brings tears to my eyes when I see people in our city, in our region, and I don't look at them and say, well, they should just have it all together. It breaks my heart because I think to myself, if they could just get Jesus, if they could just be filled with the Holy Ghost, if they could just be baptized in Jesus' name, if I could just get them to church, I know what can fix the problem. Jesus is saying the proper order of judgment and of helping others is always inward before it goes outward. In other words, fixing ourselves, focusing on bettering ourselves should always be the primary objective. You came to church here tonight not to fix somebody else, not to improve somebody else. You're going to go home tonight not to fix somebody else, not to improve somebody else. You're going to get up tomorrow morning not to fix somebody else, not to improve somebody else. You're going to get up tomorrow to improve yourself. And that's how it starts with us. And that's how it starts in the house of God. That's where judgment is in its proper place. This is a holy habit. You've got to get in the habit, and I've got to get in the habit. We've all got to get in the habit where we don't look outward and think, well, how can I make myself feel better based on everybody else's bad? I've got to judge myself through the word of God. I've got to judge myself through the lens of God, amen, and his spirit moving. I've got to judge myself based on what God has been speaking to me about. I can't say, well, I'm holier than the person next to me when God has been speaking to me specifically about some things that I need to take care of. Well, I'm better than them. Brother, you're judging the wrong way. But if you get proper judgment, it starts and says, well, what has God been speaking to you about? Yeah, there's some folks that say, well, I don't have that personal conviction. You need to pray and ask God what convictions he wants to give you, and God will start judging some things in your life, and he'll start telling you there's some things that need to go in your life.
Listen, conviction should never should never get loosened as you go in God. In fact, it should become a more straight way, a more narrow way. The longer you live for God, the more strict it should become. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about a love contract, a love relationship with God where the more I walk with Jesus, I, the more I, I take this off because I don't really need it. I lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets me and entraps me because I know it's not taking me the direction I need to go. Oh, somebody lift up your hands all across this building and let's magnify the Lord. It starts by properly judging myself. Hallelujah. I got to fix me. I got to take care of what I've got to take care of. I've got I've to deal with my situation. I've got to deal with my mindset. I've got to deal with me. Come on, let's pray all across this building. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody pray. Come on, I know, you, I know you wish that there's other things in your life that would change, other people in your life that would change, but if you would just stop focusing on other people and say, Lord, could you show me a mirror real quick and help me to figure out what's going on inward, I promise you God will take care of the inward of you, and then God can use you to help the outward. Proper judgment always starts inward. It is introspective. And, and, and people have missed this. The altar is a place to pray for others. Yes, we believe that. Please pray for others. But the altar is a first, at first call is for me to pray for me. Now, I believe that if you're a saint of God, you should be praying at home. Have an altar call at home so that when the time comes, you can be ready to help other people. Hallelujah. I, I, can't lay, I will lay hands on everybody, but I, I, don't, I can't always get to everybody. But if you will get home and you will have an altar call at your house, you can come. Amen. The beam's already been removed from your eye. You're seeing clearly, and now you can come to the house of the Lord helping somebody else. In other words, if all throughout the week you are working on you and I am working on me, we can come together and we can, we can make this thing happen. It can be a beautiful move of God. This is why the Bible says that there should be no sound of the hammer at the temple. They had to go to the quarry. They had to start chiseling out the rocks and the stones that they would use for the temple. They would then come back to the temple using whatever measurement equipment they had, and they would judge not the other stones. They would judge where this stone's supposed to go, and then they'd go with that measurement back to the quarry, and they'd go, we got to chisel a little bit off. That's what happens when a saint of God is using proper judgment. They go home, and they say, what I heard on Wednesday, I'm going to do something about it right now, and I'm going to start chiseling some things away so that when I bring my stone back to church, if it don't don't fit properly. It's not my brother's problem. It's not my sister's problem. It's not the church's problem. It's not my spouse's problem. It's not other people's problem. It's my problem. I'm going to take my stone back to the quarry. And I, I'm not hammering it out with you. I'm not chiseling it out with you. I'm chiseling it out with me. I'm not in a fight with you. I'm not in a battle with you. I'm in a battle with me. Oh, somebody ought to give God praise all across this building. It's time to work on me. God, I hope you bless my neighbor. I hope you work on my neighbor. But, Lord, work on me. God, bless me. God, help me. God, chisel me. Proper judgment says it starts with me. You want the world? Well, I, I just don't like how the world does this, and I don't like how the world does that. Well, what are you doing at your house? Whew. This is where Christianity gets. This is the real Christianity, folks. 
I love Wednesday nights. See, some folk don't like Wednesday nights because this is where we start getting past some of the some of the fun the fun stuff. Amen. We get past the ice cream. I love ice cream. Amen. God bless ice cream. I talk about food too much when I preach recently. Man, I must be hungry. But but I, I love that. But man, I like a good steak too. Because I know that's gonna make me bigger. That's gonna make me better. Amen. And so when I when I look at the proper judgment, the way I should look at it is we all get better when I get better. Amen. Everybody say that. We all get better when I get better. We all get better when I get better. If we want to change the world, you got to start by changing yourself. If I want to change my world, I gotta, if, I, if I want to change the world, i got to start by changing my world. I gotta start by changing my my household, changing my family. I I, I want to change I want to change the entire culture of Pentecost. We gotta start right here at ARC. Amen. My focus is not on everybody else's church. My focus is not on on anybody else. My focus is right here because if we can do what God has called us to do right here, we can affect our city. We can affect our region. Amen. The biblical concept, and I'll talk about this here recent here here shortly. The biblical concept is what God told Abraham. You are blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Notice how that starts. There's so many people, they are so busy trying to help everybody else, fix everybody else, that they are depleted and they are broke. Brother, you need to focus on you getting blessed and you getting taken care of. I'm not talking about being selfish. Amen. The most selfish thing you can do is become burnout, amen, and completely depleted. But the most giving thing you can do is say, God, I need you to work on some things in me so that I can use those things to be a blessing to somebody else. Marriages don't get better when we attempt to make our spouse better. Jobs don't get better when we attempt to make the boss better. Churches don't get better when we attempt to make the pastor and other saints better. Everything gets better when we focus on making ourselves better. Amen. Jesus is not saying to ignore what your brother has wrong. Jesus is saying fix yourself first so you can see how to help your brother better. Jesus is saying, you got a vision problem. If you got something in your eye, you, you're going to try to help your brother. But I've seen it a million times. You will hurt your brother and hurt yourself more if you don't take care of what you got to take care of when you are attempting to help your brother. I am no good to anybody as a pastor if I'm not dealing with the things in my life and I'm trying to help you with your life. I'm going to hit you with a beam. I'm going to hit you over the head. I got to get home. I got to pray about it. I got to deal with it. I got to let God chisel it out of me. So when I come back to church, on Sunday. Amen. I'm not hitting anybody in the head with a beam. I'm helping them remove some things. I'm preaching things that are going to bless them. I'm preaching things that are going to benefit them. Amen. If we get better and recover, we we now have the clarity to help see to see how to help them recover. Amen. When we go through the process of becoming, we are sympathetic to the process of others. That they have to endure as well. I've seen this a million times. People are so focused on helping everybody else and fixing everybody else. Sometimes they are the most critical, difficult people. Because they think, well, just get it. You know, this is, I, this is when you're a talented person. Hey, but we got some talented folk in the house. You're just talented and you can't figure out why somebody who doesn't have that talent. Just learn it already. It's like you're good at math and you just want them to figure out math. Amen, but they ain't good at math, and they don't have the skill that you have. And you're thinking just, my dad was like this. He's like, just figure it out. Man, I just don't have your brain. <laughs> if I could get your brain, I might be able to do it. But when you've had to endure the process of learning, 
you're a lot more sympathetic to the person that is going through the same process as you. Amen. This is why Paul, he said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. Why? Because the abundance of revelation. See, when Paul started out his ministry, the Bible talks about John Mark departed from them. And the Bible says Barnabas said, hey, let's bring John Mark with us. But Paul would not forgive him for the fact that he forsook him at one point. He was so sharp, the Bible says the contention was so sharp, that he separated himself from Barnabas. He said, you go your way with John Mark, and I'll go my way with Silas, because I don't have time for nobody like that. That's somebody that has not endured the process, amen, of, of becoming, and they're so quick to judge other people, but they won't deal with the, own thing, the things in their own life. Amen, what, what Paul had forgotten was that Barnabas took a chance on him when he just got done killing Christians. Barnabas took a chance on him when nobody in the church would take a chance on him, and now John Mark's in the same position that needs the same grace, needs the same mercy, and he will not show it to him. God help us to not become self-righteous. Listen, it's a big pendulum to go from being unrighteous in sin to getting saved, amen, and going all the way to self-righteous, amen. I want to tell you, we need to find that happy medium where we have become the righteousness of Christ uh, in Christ Jesus, where we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus according to Romans, uh, where it's not by works of righteousness that any man should boast, uh, nor is it based on my own righteousness, uh, but it's based on what Jesus has done for me. But you watch Paul, by the end of his ministry, that thorn in the flesh worked its way out, built a process in him. And you read it in the book of Timothy. He says, hey, one of my last things I'm ever going to say, send John Mark because he's profitable to me for the ministry. You know what's going to help people with judgment? And I I don't want to go through it, and I hope nobody does want to go through this. A good trial. A good trial will make you more sympathetic. You know, when you lose somebody or you lose something, it makes you a lot more sympathetic to people that are going through loss. It makes you a lot more sympathetic. You know, just get over it. You, until you've been there, and you recognize how tough it can actually be. When we are called to judge, we are called to judge ourselves first. And God takes care of that stuff first. And we've gone through the process. We recognize if I needed mercy, they're going to need mercy too. Amen. We can now clearly administer the remedy from a place of experience because I've been there and I know where you're at and I want to help you amen proper judgment is this it starts with me and when God helps me my love that I receive from God helping me is what I use to help you let's stand all across the building lift up our hands let's pray God, I, I don't want to look at other people. I don't want to look. I don't want to even do what the Bible says, judge myself amongst myself, because maybe I'll be too critical on myself because I'm judging based on somebody else's good. Lord, I, I want to take an honest glance, and I want to look at exactly where I am, Lord, and where you have me and what you're speaking to me about, and, God, what you're dealing with me about. And if I can take care of what you are dealing with me about, amen, Lord, I know that I'm going to be in a better position to help other people along the road. Come on, somebody pray all across this house. Come on, fix first, 
Fix first what is in your life. Judge first what's in your life so that when you show up into somebody else's life, you're not showing up to be critical. You're not showing up to condemn them. You're not showing up to just bring them down another notch. But you're coming in there with eyes of mercy and eyes of grace saying, I've been there. And you're reaching down your hand saying, if I can make it out, you can make it out too. Come on, let's pray all across this building. Let's pray all across this building. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, make this your prayer. God, start with me. God, start with me. God, if there be any wicked way in me, God, deal with me about it. If there's anything that I'm missing, if there's a blind spot in my life, deal with me about it, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's pray all across this house. Oh, let's pray. When we start internally, God is not only dealing with the problems that we have, God is not only judging the problems that we have and the things we're going through right now, but God is also equipping us to better help our brother. Listen, if I, if I go to the restaurant with you, I get something in my teeth, man, please tell me. Don't let me walk around like an idiot. Don't let me get up and preach looking like a fool. A good friend wants to help you. When a brother or sister comes up to you and they say, hey, listen, I see where you're struggling. You could do better. There's people like that that are just criticizing you. Take it with a grain of salt. If they're right about it, fix it. Truth is truth no matter how it came. But when somebody comes alongside you and they do it with love and compassion, God has been dealing with them. It's, a, it's, it's an adult that has already made decisions they wish they never made. And they see a young person slipping. And they come up right next to them. They don't, listen, I, I want to say this for clarification's sake. Nobody should be critical of somebody who is coming to church that is new or somebody has been here a long time. You got a critical word, as Grandma used to say, you ain't got nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. Keep your words to yourself. If you think, well, I just need to tell them, you come tell me, and then we might go tell them. Truth is, we're going to tell you. Because the people want to do that, they just want to seem like they're the spiritual one. But the Bible says, you that are spiritual, strengthen such a one in the spirit of meekness. So I clarified the negative. We don't do that. That's what Jesus said not to do. But there is that person that struggled when they were younger. They left church. They made mistakes. They wish they never made. And they come up alongside somebody and say, hey, listen. I made some decisions I'm not proud of. They're not trying to act like, oh, I've always been great. I've had it all together. No. They're coming along saying, say, hey, listen. And I see, you, I see you going down a route that I don't think is the right route. And I'm going to pray for you. And if you ever want to talk, I'm here for you. And if you ever need somebody that'll, that, that can lift you up, 
I'll lift you up. And if you, what does that look like? That's saying, hey, listen, I'm telling you some truth. I'm not trying to hit you over the head with a frying pan. But what I am telling you is that I've got compassion for you. And God has dealt with me about it. And God has taken care of me. I've already got it under control. But I see you going down the same route that I was going route. Amen. There's some folks that you started getting cold in the kingdom. Amen. And you, you've been there. And God brought you out of it. And you see somebody else going down the same route. They're missing church. They're not coming to prayer meeting. And you come alongside them and say, listen, brother, what, what can I do for you? How can I help you? God will not only get rid of all of the stuff out of our own eye, but he'll equip us on how to better help that other individual. Let's lift up our hands. In fact, I want to come down to this altar. Let's pray. Proper judgment starts with me. Proper judgment starts with me. It starts with the church. It starts in the kingdom of God. It starts in my house, not your house. It starts in my altar call, not your altar call. It starts in my prayer meeting, not your prayer meeting. And if God will deal with me about it, I'm, I'm believing God's going to equip me to help you with it. Amen. So that I've already made it out, and I can show you the way out. I've already, I've already climbed the wall, and I can show you the way over the wall. I've already taken care of. I've already unlocked the prison gate, and I can show you the way out of the prison gate. Amen. Let's pray all across this house. Hallelujah. God, deal with me. God, God, show me. God, help me. Lord, I, I want you to show me the areas in my life. Amen. Somebody needs to pray that God would bring a mirror by. Amen. Not, not so you can look at other people, but a mirror so you can say, God, show me me. God, show me what's going on in my life. Show me my thought process. Show me my actions. Show me my attitude. God, show me the areas where I could grow, where I could get better. Hallelujah. Lord, speak to me. Come on, let's pray all across this house. Change me, Lord. Don't let me stay the same. I want to be more like you. Take my life, make my life just like you want it to be. Change me, change me, dear Lord. Change me, Lord. Change me, Lord. Don't let stay the same. I want to be more like you.
on. That's Change it all across this building. Let's pray. Let that be your Change prayer. Change me, Lord. Change me, God. Don't let me stay the same. I want to be more like you. Take my life. Make my life just like you want it to be. me.